Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum for exploring critical community issues to increase your civic literacy and ability to actively engage in decisions that directly affect you. I'm your host, Mari Roden. After a couple months hiatus, Citizen U is back. Now at our new time slot, 9 a.m. on first and third Wednesdays. During the hiatus, a wonderful thing happened. I found an excellent co-host for Citizen U. Supervisor Dan Jurdy will host Citizen U on first Wednesdays, and I'll be with you on third Wednesdays. I think having Dan Jurdy as a co-host for Citizen U is a real coup. He has been in public office for, for 23 years. First as a council member for the city of Fort Bragg, and now as a county supervisor. Our aim at Citizen U is to bring you an in-depth look into issues that would ordinarily receive only cursory attention, if any at all, in other local media outlets. Citizen U is what local journalism is all about. However, we're going to break away from our, our usual, our, our planned uh, format. Um, and so this morning, Dan and I are in the studio together. And we thought it would, uh, we would do something special for this reprise of Citizen U. Since we are both local elected officials, I'm on the city council for the uh, city of Ukiah. Dan is the supervisor representing Fort Bragg and areas north. We thought it would be interesting to discuss a range of topics having to do with local government, including elected office. We also plan to open the phone lines for listeners to ask questions. But before we begin, I would like to have Dan introduce himself, and, and I would appreciate it, Dan, if you would tell listeners what interested you about co-hosting Citizen U, and perhaps a little about your ideas for the future First Wednesdays. Well, thank you, Mari, and, and thank you for in, uh, inventing this show. Um, actually, why I wanted to co-host it was because I was really inspired by the, the premise of your show, which is um, to bring issues to light that are local and empower community members um, to be more effective in, in uh, bringing about change. So um, uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I, as you said, I was on the city council in Fort Bragg for 14 years, and then I was elected supervisor, uh, now starting my third term on the Board of Supervisors. Um, so uh, like you, I have experience in the city government and, and now um, quite a bit of experience in county government, which um, will probably get a chance to talk a little bit about the similarities and differences of those. Great. Well, uh, since it, we are co-hosts, it's not, I don't exactly want to be interviewing you. I want to have a discussion with you, and and uh, we have a list of uh, topics to, to discuss. And then we will open the phone lines uh, probably about 20 minutes before uh, 10. The number f um, for the studio is 707 895-2448. I believe you have to uh, dial 707 now uh, as a prefix. Let's start out talking about uh, communication with constituents. Uh, what, do you, what do you find, Dan, is the most effective way for members of the public to engage with you? Well, email is the best because there's there's a you know there's a record of it and um, you know we we get a lot of emails you get a lot of emails as a city council member I, I got a lot of emails as a council member 
it's it actually exponentially more emails as a county supervisor because you sometimes get emails from people who don't live in the county and, and sometimes on a particular topic and it, you know you get your literally get hundreds of emails on a single topic um, if it's a major issue well um, and you have more constituents <laughs> to deal with also um yeah yeah well because it's not just the seventeen thousand people that live in your district it's also the ninety thousand people who live in the county and people who live outside the county so email is the the best way and and i hope people you know sometimes sometimes understand that you know it, it's possible that you need to send a second email if they don't hear a response the first time um yeah it, it's just there's so many um emails that come in sometimes and um but but also voice message. Um, you know, I, I've given out my cell phone number to hundreds of people um, throughout the county, and um, uh, but also if they call the county voice uh, number, I'll get that voice message as an email that's forwarded to me. So that's also that also works. Yeah, I I think uh, also appearing before the body, whether it's a city council or the board of supervisors, and uh, well pre-pandemic times and future post-pandemic times, people coming in person to a meeting and stating their concern or their interest is also effective. It is. Um, I think one one thing I, I would see, and we can go to when we talk about some of the other topics, but in terms of being effective, I think it's important for people to try to establish some sort of rapport with um, with elected officials and, and city and county staff um, so they understand why they're raising an issue and um, and and understand the background behind it. Often um, you're not necessarily able to actually take action on items if they're not on the agenda um, at a meeting. But if, if you know about it ahead of time, you might be able to work out um, some solutions prior to the meeting. Or and it may not even the solution may not even take place in a meeting. It may just be something that just gets worked out um, with the constituent and city or county staff. Mm-hmm. Just the other day in my email, I got a four-page letter, full well email with so much detail and uh it was it was more i think than was necessary and um it would have been good to have a short introductory email and a a request for a a meeting in person or on the phone and then to get into details it's it's uh sort of overwhelming to to have to confront such a detailed uh introduction yeah, and ideally, um, community members know their local elected officials on, on some personal level um, so that they're not just, for the first time, reaching out to them on a constituent issue. Um, so, uh, uh, Samari, um, how, how, does, how do you see communication between an elected official and um, city staff? Well, that's changed over the times that I've been on the Ukiah City Council. It, at certain times, it's been um, where we don't, we're not invited to have direct communication. I mean, we can pick up the phone and talk to staff, but if it's um, a substantive policy matter, um, you know, the city manager requested we go through them and and work our way down, and uh, currently it works differently. It's very, it's we are invited to directly communicate with directors and with other staff and and i appreciate that that um that way of working together because it's as if we're all a member of the same team and 
Um, so, there, so you're seeing a difference in in the in one city manager from another, kind of the the way that the city manager um, is inviting the input between. And yeah, exactly. With, it changes with the city manager who's exactly. Really I saw in that charge. in Fort Bragg. It depends who the city manager was and their comfort level with council members talking to staff. Yeah, and it has it has to do with trust. You know, the city uh, the city manager trusting the the elected officials to not. Uh, manipulate or go behind their back to try to orchestrate something that um, they might not appreciate. I really like that. Yeah, and and I think also um, it's just important to know that not in not every way does a member of a city council or a supervisor um, have any direct authority over over much of what a city does or what a county does. I mean, there's a lot of discretion that's not in an ordinance, that's not in a board or a council adopted policy that that staff is implementing and it's their judgment and um what what some members of the public might be surprised to know is that um that city staff or county staff you know it, they're making a lot of decisions um because it's it's not there there is no specific direction from the board to do that particular make that particular decision right right yeah i uh i also think that they don't the administrators, so the county administrator or the city manager at, in a in a city, uh, doesn't want staff to feel that they need to take direction from the elected official. The city manager is the designated supervisor, but there are elected officials who do take, I think, a, a direct you know approach to to staff and it can it can put staff in an awkward position so part of it doesn't have to do with trust as much as it has to do with the city manager wanting to really protect um, the staff underneath him or her yeah not everyone who's elected office has been on it on another board prior to being elected it's it's pretty common by the time you're elected to the city council or board of supervisors you are probably on another board but it's not always the case and um so yeah, I mean, one one lesson I've kind of learned is that there's a there's a lot of uh, decision making and authority that doesn't rest with the city council. It doesn't rest with the board of supervisors, but so it's not um, it, it's that you don't have that authority, but you do have the ability, perhaps, with information and education, to try to persuade people to see things the way you see them, and and to hopefully on their own come to the same conclusion. So what's it like at the county? I've always wondered with. Uh, the situation being what it is at the in, in the county, and how how do you communicate with staff in the C, CEO's office, and and what about directors that are obviously outside of the CEO's office? What is it like at the county level? Uh, there's there's a I, I would say a pretty open door. I mean, each department head has their own style, um, and, but most of them are are pretty open to supervisors contacting them directly, either calling their cell phone or, or emailing them, and uh, and so I think for the most part they're open to it. Um, there are some and there's some department heads who go out of their way to to reach out to supervisors to say, hey, this is something that's coming up. We're working on this. I wanted you to get some background on this topic. Um, so when you see it in the next month or two. Um, you'll know why why we're working on this topic, and we hope we have your support. Um, it, you know, I I don't know that all of the department heads really see it as their pri- principal job to be educating the supervisors about why they're um, wanting to advance certain things, um, and uh, 
but but it's it, again it's uh, i think for the most part most uh, department heads um see that they have part of their job is to is to it, communicate with the supervisors and, and keep us informed about um their departments and that that open communication channel with directors is encouraged um at the ceo's office yeah mm-hmm. yeah in fact one of the things that we did this last year or this current year is um i appointed an ad hoc committee uh, we're calling it the the fiscal year 21 22 so it's for the life of this current fiscal year um ad hoc uh, budget committee and so that was myself as chair and ted williams as vice chair so the intent there is that um because we have a year-round budget process with the county um we're recapping revenues from last year making budget adjustments throughout the year and and then preparing next year's budget and so um, the intent is that as departments um uh, come in with um, their pitch for things that they need in their department that our ad hoc committee will be right in there hearing their pitch that's made to the ceo's office which is ultimately the the staff that drafts the budget that's presented to the board so this way we'll have two supervisors who hear the whole pitch here hear the answers to questions um because what i've noticed is that most county departments have unlimited needs (laughs) because the community has unlimited needs and the first um easiest way to get funding at least maybe in their minds is from the general fund that's local tax dollars property tax sales tax etc um and not necessarily going out and hustling and getting a grant to pay for it. And the CEO's office and the board, our, our responsibility, we're ultimately responsible for a balanced budget that hopefully meets everyone's needs. And so um, part of what I'm hoping to get into those discussions, um, and I assume the CEO's office um, interjects this all the time to the departments is, okay, this is a wonderful idea you have. Um, is there anything we could do to help you um, get a state or federal grant that will at least partially cover the cost of this wonderful thing that you need to do? That's great. That's a good idea. But who at the at the county has the time and expertise to identify funding opportunities? I mean, it's easy to say, well, let's find a grant for that. But then what's the next step? So within the CEO's office, there's a small kind of finance division and um, a few analysts and, um, and the assistant CEO is head of that. And, um, and over time, our intention is actually to kind of build that up a little bit more with um, a grant writer. Um, in fact, I think they already have uh, LACO, a company that's under contract to write certain grants. So, so we want to kind of build that capacity in the county. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, we have a question about what do elected officials, supervisors, council members, what are their responsibilities outside of a regular meeting? What are your responsibilities outside of a regular meeting? Well, it's it's kind of limitless in a way. It's limited in the authority, but it's sort of limitless in a, in your imagination. Um, so, uh, so it so beyond the fact that you could, t- in theory, take on every single topic that exists, um, w- we all. Uh, whether you're on the city council or on board of supervisors, we all sit on multiple um, committees. Um, some of those committees are in televised meetings that, that uh, you know a couple hundred people might watch throughout the course of the year. That might be the um, countywide transportation planning board, um, the Mendocino Council governments. I've been on that board for 
um, 19 years What now. does the Mendocino Council <laughs> of Governments do? So prior to 1998, it had a very limited role. It had a tiny fraction of a small amount of planning dollars, and it would have produced a report that would say these are important transportation projects in the county. But prior to 1998, it had no money to actually implement or fund those projects. But in 1998, the state began the process of funneling a small portion of transportation dollars to this countywide organization that is in every county. And um, and so now it has, has the ability to help fund transportation projects that it that it's worked with the cities and the county and the community to, to prioritize. Mm-hmm. You know, back to the to the grants thing, when you were a council member in the city of Fort Bragg, I think you were instrumental in obtaining grant money, maybe through MCOG, other sources, and doing the incredible uh, street streetscape improvements in the city of Fort Bragg long before they were as popular as they are now. Um, talk about how you accomplished that. Well, it's a, I mean, uh, my an interest I have is in um, bicycle and pedestrian um, sort of town planning and, and making places uh, friendly for people to walk and bike and and um, and as a council member, I personally chose to dedicate some time to help write help with county staff to their city staff to um, to uh, write some grant applications that went to the Mendocino Council of Governments, um, and uh, we received well over a million dollars uh, for sidewalk improvements in downtown, and then other about another million dollars for sidewalks throughout the, throughout the neighborhoods. Um, also, there was. The um, Caltrans in my first term, they were building, proposing a new bridge over Noyo River, and at the time they were proposing a, a railing that um, was almost entirely blocking the view of the ocean and the Noyo Harbor. And so, um, when it was being dis- uh, decided by the Coastal Commission, um, I proposed that the commission require an offsite mitigation for the loss of views, which would be a, a park um, on the ocean, um, and it, that secured a million dollars. California Coastal Conservancy. I worked with them. They brought in another two million. So we had three million dollars altogether to develop what's today called Pomo Bluffs Park, 25 acres on the south side of Noyo Harbor, and that, in a lot of ways, in my mind, kind of set the stage for the the later planning at the mill site of creating coastal trails along the entire mill site. It's an incredible accomplishment, Dan. I think you're you're so humble about that, but I'm I'm glad you had an opportunity to share that with the listeners. I want to just take a short break and let you know if you've just tuned in that you're listening to a special edition of Citizen U with the new co-hosts, um, Dan Jurdy, Supervisor Dan Jurdy, and I am Ukiah City Council Member Mari Roden, and we're together talking about local government and serving in elected office in Mendocino County. We're going to open the phone lines shortly, and uh, if you want to call in, the number is 707 895 2448. I wanted to uh, bring back something about budgets that you said and how you have an ad hoc committee. And it reminded me of, um, of, of public safety, at least this, so my experience is limited to, this, to city government in the city of Ukiah, and that when budget would come around and whenever a public safety department had a need, it was much more difficult than any other department, than working with any other department in uh vetting it you know how necessary is it because public safety always uh you know we're talking about fire or police always can say that if we don't get this thing that we need this 
truck or the, this whatever, public safety is at risk. And it, and it puts elected officials in a kind of a, a bind. You know, it's it's hard to, to say no to that, especially if you're not an expert. I remember, you know, we need a new car that's totally outfitted. It's going to cost $100,000 or something. And you sort of wonder, well, maybe does it really need this or that? Oh, no, you know, public safety is at stake here. And I, I noticed that um, I was in Southern California over the holiday, and I noticed that the, at the beach how many more, well, I'm calling them toys, that the lifeguards have. They have off-road vehicles to maneuver on the sand. They had jet skis to go over waves. And I imagined the San Diego City Council being confronted by the lifeguard saying, if we don't have these jet skis and we don't have this and that, you know, people will die. Uh, but it struck me as more dangerous in some instances, some of the, the things they had. How do you deal with, um, with that? That's hard. <laughs> that is, actually makes me think of a time uh, on the city council there we had a chief of police who um, wanted to use um, some funds that were totally discretionary but they were grant funds but they were they could have been used on anything and he wanted to buy what they called stinger stripe strips and they were basically something you would throw in on the highway in the event of a high-speed chase and the tires would the of the car would would be punctured and 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 we're thinking well how many times is there a high-speed chase in the city of fort bragg it's so tiny (laughs) i see the highway patrol having these in the back of their vehicles or maybe the sheriffs but i mean the city of fort bragg anyway so so yeah it it is kind of challenging when when you've when when for whatever reason and, and and i think the best situation is if you can have good communication with the department you know, in the ideal situation, you would have great communication with the department, and, and you'd be able to talk through these things and understand why they're wanting this issue before it gets to sort of a high-stakes vote up or down at the, at the city council board of supervisors. And and kind of back to that strategy idea of, of making sure that we're fully pursuing state and federal dollars, there are state and federal dollars for public safety. So, you know, one thing I, I really want us to see here in Mendocino County, and I'm not alone, the full board wants to see this, is we would like to see... Um, greater um, coordination and strategy about pursuing those state and federal grants for the public safety, um, all of our public safety departments, so that um, they're all getting as many of their needs met as possible um, and not exclusively relying on very scarce, limited general fund dollars, because the vast majority of the county budget is not general fund dollars. It's, It's state and federal dollars. And so when we have so little local tax dollars that we have discretion over, we have to you know, try to use those dollars to leverage the state and federal dollars um, in order to meet more needs. The only disadvantage about grants is that they usually have a time limit. So if they're used to hire people or to add services, those those usually have a sunset after three, five years when the grant is over. Yeah, exactly. But all the more reason to try to get a grant, if you can, for, a, for an expensive piece of equipment. For equipment, sure. That's perfect. Right. What other responsibilities do you have outside? You we, you were talking about the Mendocino Council of Governments. Yes. What other boards and commissions? Okay, so I've been on that board for eight or 19 years and, and chair for 15 of those years. And um, also, uh, as a supervisor, there is one of the five supervisors, for example, that sits on the um, County Retirement Investment Board. So for eight years now, I've been on that board and um, chair. This is my fourth year as chair. And um, so that board has tremendous responsibility. 
it's it's got an investment portfolio at this point of about seven hundred million dollars, um, mostly in in public stocks, um, um, and uh, and so our responsibility is to hopefully earn the income that is um, that the plan is based upon so that there is enough money to pay the retirees when they're retired and and do it in a way that hopefully doesn't cost the county more money than it should um, and and there's been a number of reforms probably ta- have a whole episode about this at some point in the future but Mendocino County in the last 10 plus years has put in more reforms more quickly than say CalPERS the state pension board has put in place in the in the same amount of time and um, I, just to brag a little bit this last year um, it, it earned uh, 31% um, on its portfolio um, CalPERS by uh, comparison earned 21% in one it was one of the best performing um, pension funds in the in the country well congratulations recently I spoke with um someone from the Mendocino Climate Action Group. And one of their priorities is to get the uh, our uh, governments, our local governments, county and city, to divest their investments from fossil fuel. I wonder if that's come before the county and ha- has the county, uh, well, and the the retirement board considered so, that. So the retirement board um, is looking at that. That's um, it's sometimes called with pension systems anyway, um, uh, equity, social justice, um, investment policy. So the board is interested in that uh, topic and how to do that. And so it's it's one of the the, the primary topics of our next um, board workshop that we're going to have, which will be a two two day event. Great. So just to remind listeners, um, or if you've just tuned in, that you are listening to Citizen U. I am Ukiah City Council Member Mari Roden in the studio with my new Citizen U co-host, Supervisor Dan Jurdy. We are talking about local government and serving in elected office in Mendocino County. And I'll open the phone lines um, if you'd like to call. The number is 707 895 2448. Meanwhile, I want to ask you another question, Dan. Um, if, a, if a member of the public wants to affect change um, or institute a new policy, how would they work with an elected official? I, I think the most important thing is to, is to meet with them outside of a public meeting. So, um, so for example, um, oh, oh, go ahead. Dan, we, we have a call right now. So let's take that. Caller, hello, you're on the air. Yes, um, we're all out here in Mendocino County, and um, you're striking a chord today. I greatly appreciate your show, um, because personally, I'm, I'm thinking about running for Board of Supervisors this year. What's your That's so, great. Do you have a question what for... What do you do to get involved with that? How do we get your positions of power? How do we get your seat? <laughs> okay, thank you for your call. I'll let Dan answer that question. Well, to run for supervisor, you would contact the um, county clerk's office, and there's um, a filing schedule for, for all elected offices. Um, I don't have it memorized, but I think because of the June primary, I think people would take out papers to reduce their filing fee. There's actually a fee to file to run for office, um, but you could reduce your filing fee by getting signatures for members of voters within your district 
that I think are available in February, and then I think it's maybe March that someone would actually file papers to run for the June primary. But I, if you just if you wanted to sort of take a second to look at who who's who typically is elected to the board of supervisors in Mendocino County, and um, uh, if you looked at the current five board members, for example, three of them served at least four years on a city council or on a school board, so they were involved with community members on those boards. And then the two other board members were either a longtime um, school board uh, or school uh, school teacher, um, and and active in the community. And another one was a fire chief active in the community. So I mean, I would just sort of point if you just sort of look at who has historically been elected, it tends to be people who have been active in their community um, through either a significant organization, like say the schools or. Or a city, or a fire department. You know what kind of makes up community in, in Mendocino County. Yeah, um, and then you have to consider campaigning. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, want to run for office without uh, really carefully considering how difficult it is to campaign, and that it costs money, and fundraising is a big part of it. Especially if one wants to run for supervisor, because again, the areas. Are geographically are big and the constituents are likely spread out unless you're uh, in the second district, which is the Ukiah district. It's true. I mean, Mendocino County is a large county. I think the county by land mass is almost as large as Delaware and Rhode Island combined. And uh, so it's just a terrific area to, to cover. Beautiful county, though. That's, that's on the upside. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it- we have another caller. Just a moment. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Yeah, this is me calling back again um, about the supervisor positions and all the good information you guys are putting there for us. Um, Thank you so much, Dan. We appreciate that. Um, I would like to note that, you know, though we have over 80,000, I believe 90-something thousand residents here in Mendocino County right now, that um, the past sheriff, Tom Allman, um, got his election with all merely 8,000 votes. So where you're telling people and kind of telling people, well, they have to already be in office and they got to be in a school teacher, a firefighter, that's a bunch of horse pucky. You know, everybody needs to know that we are the people and we represent um, a big, big portion of the community. Um, and, you know, anybody can do this. Anybody can run. It's not hard to, uh, to, to you know, to you know, get your name out there and get some banners and get support. And if people really want to do it, you can. We need more normal people in the in uh, Mendocino County applying for these positions of power because if we expect change, we can't do it without standing up and, and getting our voice heard and getting our, um, you know, our agendas um, on the on the forefront. So, you know, everybody there, all the supervisors, all those people have private agendas certain things that they're pushing that they put them, you know, the reason why they're um, in the position of power is because they wanted to do something to help in the beginning anyway. Yeah, you- um, I think that we need some new blood, and um, I encourage everybody to apply for, um, you know, position of office here in Mendocino County um, because the voting range that everybody's getting voted in is very small. Um, these guys are getting elected with smidgens of population mm-hmm. from the whole county. Right. So Thank I you. encourage everybody to uh, to do it because we need more real people right. in office. Good point, caller. Thank you so much for your call. I 
sorry. We have another caller. Let's take that. Sorry about that. Please call back again. Caller, you're on the air. Hello, caller. All right. You don't have that call. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Uh, I think this dropped. Nope, you're there. You're here. You're live on the air. What's your question? Caller, you're on the air. Okay, we seem to have a problem with the phones. I'm sorry for those who've tried to call and it hasn't worked. We'll give this one another try. Hello, caller, you're on the air. I am actually here. I can hear you now. Oh, great. What's your question or your comment? Okay, this is Naomi Wagner. I'm turning my radio off, so I hope I can be heard. Um, I wanted to thank Supervisor Jurdy and um, all the supervisors for passing the resolution to call for calling on the state to do a scientific study in Jackson State Forest. That is greatly, greatly appreciated by all the activists and supporters of um, that campaign. And um, evidently the public is in support of it, too, because you received so many um, uh, letters and um, comments asking you to do that. But I am concerned, and I'd like you to speak to this. Um, the resolution was um, amended to call on you to go and talk to the Jackson Advisory Group, the JAG. Um, and um, we're really concerned that that's going to be a place where this whole thing kind of unravels, because obviously the timber industry, which in my opinion controls the JAG, doesn't want this resolution to go forth. And at the same time, we just heard that the governor has given a directive to the Board of Forestry and all um, natural resources, public lands, that they should give access and encourage co-management with the indigenous tribes. And that certainly is a, a huge um, development, too. So I will get off the air and hope to listen to your answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. So thank you, Naomi, for your comments. Um, so the board did pass the resolution five to zero, and it's going to the the governor and the resource agency and, and other state officials. And um, I think it it is kind of reasonable though that that we would also obviously be meeting with anybody with the state. And the Jackson Advisory Group is appointed through the state process to give advice to Jackson State Forest. So obviously want to hear from everybody about um, their vision for Jackson State Forest and and really looking for um, this sort of independent third-party um, environmental analysis of Jackson State Forest, which I think will help better inform the next uh, management plan that gets adopted for Jackson State Forest. Right. And, and we were talking just before the calls came in um, about um, how members of the public can be effective. And, and you know, there's no one single way, but, but I mean, I, I'll just give an example. Um, I, I remember Alicia... Um, at the Mendocino Environmental Center and, and others in the county um, meeting independently one one at a time with the supervisors um, about the idea of creating a climate action, a citizens climate action committee. Um, you know, we all said, hey, this was a great idea. Let's do it. They, they, we learned that it existed in other counties. Why not Mendocino County? Um, 
it, it's kind of a you kind of need to look at it as it's um, things happen when there's an opportunity and when there's a will to do it. In that case, there was an interest and support on the board, um, but it, having that public um, interaction kind of prompted us to say, okay, we're busy doing lots of other things, but let's set aside some time to, to make this happen. And, and, and while government doesn't always work as fast as we wish it would, we are actually following up on a lot of things that are coming from the Citizens Advisory Committee and and um, and actually, I'd say um, refining them through implementation. So, the um, and recommendation that came from them and the community was, hey, let's let's find some money to reduce the county's carbon footprint. Um, and the board passed on a five to zero vote um, because we had the opportunity to um, spend money that we don't normally receive, um, two million dollars as sort of a Kickstarter fund for that whole project. Um, and now we're in the process of trying to figure out what's the most effective way to reduce the county's um, op- uh, carbon footprint in, in its operations, its fleet of vehicles, its buildings, et cetera. And um, I'm really excited about that. I think um, what we're going to see in the next two to three years with the county is um, a, a carbon-safe or a Mendocino-safe um, climate um, program with um, electric vehicles, um, electric charging stations, um, and and just a much more energy-efficient, uh, low-carbon county government, which hopefully people will want to go to work for. <laughs> right. Let's tell the listeners about the way that you and I have been beginning to work together on this particular issue, um, the fleet, the county vehicle fleet, um, and converting those to electric and uh, we would need charging stations within the city limits of Ukiah. Exactly. One of the things we've realized is that probably four-fifths of the county's carbon footprint for the operations of county buildings and fleet is in the fleet. And and so to do, to convert that fleet to electric, you know, those vehicles are out there. Charging stations um, for in, that are in public accessible spaces are much more expensive than what you have inside of a garage at, at a home. So the installation cost is a big um, hurdle. And so you and I have been working with um, county staff and city of Ukiah staff to try to figure out what could we do together, the city and the county, um, to install those electric car charging stations in affordably. Pu- yeah, affordably in the public parking lots that the county owns, be available to the public. It'd be available to uh, electric vehicles that the county will own. Yeah, that's really exciting, and I'm hopeful that that we'll be able to make it make it possible, feasible for the county to install those and really make the conversion to electric vehicles. And what maybe some people outside of Ukiah may not know is the city of Ukiah is one of the handful of cities that actually runs its own electric utility company. Right. We did a show on that, I don't know, in October, early October, and it was very interesting. We had the city of Ukiah's um, utility directors um, present, and we we talked about the uniquenesses of, of of that situation and how it gives the city the flexibility to institute programs similar to what Sonoma Clean Power is doing and and not have to you know be in the PG&E world. It's pretty and exciting. In fact, that's another board I'm on is the Sonoma Clean Power Board. And so Sonoma Clean Power um, was an effort by the county of Mendocino to reduce the carbon footprint of, of our, our community. Because by switching over to Sonoma Clean Power, customers have half the carbon emissions from their electrical power sources than PG&E. And right now, it's it's up to 93% carbon-free power. From, um, and you can personally, like I have, upgrade, uh, pay a little extra to the Evergreen program, which is 100% renewable, locally sourced power, like solar rays within Mendocino and Sonoma counties, um, and, and, and geothermal. So we've, um, um, and just finally on that front, 
on December 7th, um, we have two items um, that are, are are on this point. Um, the energy audit, the very first um, look at it that the board and the public is going to see is on our morning of December 7th at the board meeting next Tuesday, as well as um, a proposal uh, by um, uh, Sonoma Clean Power that the counties of Sonoma, Mendocino, and Lake um, just endorsed the concept that geothermal um, power, which we kind of know from the geysers, um, uh, uh, is a clean source of renewable power that complements solar very well because it's, it operates 24-7 and it's local to our region. And that there's newer technologies available that require substantially less water and um, and and our smaller um, facilities, so it, it offers a lot of promise. So we're going to be um, looking at working to collectively the three counties um, to better understand how to um, you know permit these because they haven't been built in 40 years the old, the old geyser facilities and these newer facilities will be like I said smaller footprint more efficient. And um, so that's an, a great opportunity for our region to go to a completely carbon-free power source when you add that with solar and, and other local renewable sources. Right. It's, it's fascinating and exciting. So um, another topic I am so interested in uh, discussing with you and informing the public about are the models of government, you know, a strong in many large cities like Chicago and LA, they have what's called a strong mayor model. Uh, well, I will pause right here and uh, we have another call. Just a moment. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, gosh, I figured since we got. Uh, oh, I didn't get it turned off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, since we've got a supervisor here, um, I throw in my plug again. I'm trying to get this out there. Um, the MTA, now in rural areas uh, and as a senior and then other people too, I think, would be interested. Anyway, if there was a once-a-week bus, uh, I'm in Albion, so I'll use that as an example, if there was a once-a-week bus that actually came up the ridge, and it could probably even just be a large van that came up the ridge, uh, up to Middle Ridge, and hit the ends of the driveways, that would go to town and stop at the Harvest and the food bank and Safeway and whatnot, uh, laundromat, for maybe, you know, like a three-hour trip, I wouldn't need to own a car. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that would like to make that kind of choice. And then, you know, and, and Laytonville, I mentioned it to Karen Audubonny. She liked the idea. Uh, I guess there's issues like that in Laytonville. Um, anyway, related to that, I'm thinking, it, I don't know if it would be a group, but the different demographics in the county you know, the more in town, the more outlying seniors, uh, different people's income levels, um, because to address the needed, you know, catch up with, with the times we're in, um, we need solutions and retrofits and whatnot in every demographic. Mm -hmm. And so it would be great if there was some way for these different, different demographics to be able to brainstorm because they know what their problems are and they probably have some good ideas. 
Thank you, caller. I think um, we should we should talk a little bit about MTA. We have another a couple calls, but I want to just finish. Um, I used to be on the Mendocino Transit Authority uh, board, but no, I'm not currently. Are you uh, I, I, on I, it? I was on it for a couple of years as well, and and so that issue it comes up pretty much every year, and um, and but. Uh, <laughs> It should come up every year because um, there is different staff at MTA at different times who have a different perspective on on the routes. They have different funding sources. So, for example, they instituted um, with a a state grant, a multi-year grant, um, an extra route between Fort Bragg, Ukiah, Willits, Ukiah, and Santa Rosa. So instead of being one one trip a day from the coast to Santa Rosa, it became two. um, And that at least for a time, and I, I don't know exactly because I'm not on, their, on the board right now, but it was proving successful. They also, like I said, every year this issue comes up about could they create a once a week or a uh, you know, couple day a week route that would uh, maybe a loop that goes, um, and I've, I've brought this up as a suggestion, um, from Laytonville maybe over to Westport and then down to Fort Bragg and sort of a loop that would circle back over to Willits and then up to Laytonville. Um, so it needs to come up, and I would perhaps contact Jacob King, who's the manager at MTA, and and ask him um, to look at this. There is a formal process that uh, MCOG has um, to ask MTA to analyze um, new routes, and they they do look at re reevaluate all of their routes and um, look at new routes every year, depending on funding. Right, there is a formal process for for. Um Conveying needs, their the MTA's needs. We have another call. Hello, caller. Hi, I'm calling to uh, um, request uh, time to talk to on the show. Yes, you're uh, on, live on the air, so go ahead with your question. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all a right. little confused here. That's um, okay. So uh, I, I wanted to ask a question. I know that uh, Supervisor Jurdy is on MCOG as one of his duties uh, as, as a supervisor, and MCOG's been talking about uh, a regional uh, energy uh, network and uh, the possibility of uh, expanding that to include a climate action agency. Uh, a joint powers agreement, and I wanted to find out if he could talk a little bit about what that uh, would entail and the advantages to um, county residents. Great, he's nodding his head. Yeah. Um, thank you. There's there's actually quite a few advantages. Uh, so, um, the Bay Area, for example, they have uh, that kind of an agency that that helps the cities and the county coordinate their their um, carbon reduction or, or climate uh, projects. Um, because you don't always have that kind of level of staff um, expertise at the, at each city, especially in a place like Mendocino County where we have really small cities, very small staff, and county. Um, so the the advantage of having one entity with one or two staff people dedicated to that to those projects throughout the county will be really beneficial. We're also working um, we're um, with Humboldt County that's already working on this same topic. So Sonoma. Napa to our south, Humboldt to our north, they're already working on it. And so we're, we're trying to figure out ways to partner with one or more of them um, to make, bring those uh, extra services. And, for example, grants. Um, there's rebates that, that the Public Utilities Commission collects from the ratepayers and makes available in the Bay Area that we could have here in Mendocino County if, if we had um, a program like um, a Regional Energy Network um, that they have in the Bay Area. Great. There is another call. Hello, caller. You're on the air. Go ahead. 
Hello, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to go back to the county fleet um, uh, idea and just address, just just offer a suggestion if if it was would be possible at all for the public to piggyback onto the purchase of the county fleet in order to make the purchase of electric vehicles or the leasing of electric vehicles more accessible to the public. That's a great idea. Let's. Uh, I've never heard of that, but uh, Dan, what do you think about that? That's actually an intriguing idea. I <laughs> yeah, hadn't heard sure of is. that before. You know, um, the closest I, th- I'll, I'll explore it. I mean, the county. We're going to have a meeting with Enterprise, for example, looking at leasing vehicles um, sometime in the next uh, couple weeks. But I'll, I'll also look at it. And Sonoma Clean Power, for example, a few years ago um, gave rebates to anyone in Mendocino or Sonoma County that wanted to buy um, any number of electric vehicles. Um, I I have a hunch that with all this federal infrastructure dollars coming in that we're going to see not only the federal rebate restored at, and I think in fact it was, at $7,500 for an electric vehicle, but we're also likely to see some other local incentives like the Sonoma Clean Power Program come back. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, and um, we we definitely should look into that. We have another call. Go ahead, caller. You're on the air. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my question has to do with uh, the housing and um, electrifying the fleet. I noticed that uh, that um, when you were speaking of putting in the charging stations, that putting one in at one's home or possibly in all of the uh, a lot of the new housing apartments that we have going up right now. Um, I'd like to make a suggestion that it's a requirement that at least the infrastructure is put in underneath the ground before um, we finish these apartment buildings so that we can put the two and two together, whereas the county worker is actually being able to charge their vehicle at home or, or also, and or also interact with the with the buildings because um, this is coming. Um, a lot of the vehicles are are able to plug in and be uh, interactive uh, with the buildings. Yeah. So um, that would be my suggestion, and um, I hope that uh, that some of the new buildings that are being built, at least the underground infrastructure that may be required, or the in-wall infrastructure that may be required is, uh, you know, put forth in our building codes as soon as possible. Thank you, caller. That's, um, that's an important point, and, and new, new development has to take these things into account. And I think this came up when we were talking about charging station. We were talking with Mel Grandi at the City of Ukiah, the electric utility, about charging stations. And, but what, what was the detail, Dan, about the well, the it, it, infrastructure it is, being so it is ready. It, it is very typical that if you have to tear up a parking lot after after the fact and put in um, underground condo, it's going to be much more expensive. So the the caller's point is right on. I mean, if you can get the conduit in before the parking lot is paved, it's going to be much cheaper to later put in those charging stations. Um, I just in the last couple of years built a house in Fort Bragg and um, my home, and um, I put in an electric car charger because even though I don't own an electric car yet. I know the car that I'll end up buying four or five years down the road is going to be electric. It's just yeah. it's just a given. Um, so as you see, we have another call. Yeah, I wanted to talk about <laughs> different models of government, but people are calling like crazy. So let's take this call. 
Oh, you have your your radio. Yeah, no, I'm I'm okay now. Okay. Um, we yeah. we don't have much time, so please keep your question succinct. I'd like to talk about uh, gardening, landscaping, um, as an alternative to asphalt and pavement, like cobblestone streets. If we could figure out ahead of time, f- ten years from now, what is our area going to look like? How are we going to bring people to, uh, so we don't look like Port Lauderdale or Santa Rosa, that <laughs> we can maintain the quality of life that we have, the, the smaller streets, the land, the, the beauty. I live here in Willits, and we're being what I call invaded by Southern California, the uh, $328,000 for a small street that has no sidewalks. I don't want sidewalks. I like our soil. We have yeah. deer that come up from the creek. We have Broadus Creek, which has salmon still coming up in it. And I'd like to figure out how we can preserve both the tributaries and the, the there was a program on KZYX last night about the plants, how they the people from Polynesia came. And when they traveled, they had 20 plants that were native indigenous that were used for the new islands that were being, you know, when people were moving. And we have arrowroot, and we have mullein, and we have uh, so many native indigenous flowers and plants, bay, bay laurel, chickweed, uh, you know, chicory, there's dandelion, just they're, they're, they're weeds to many people, but to me they're edible. Caller, thank you so much. I, I appreciate your sentiment, and I, I would like to um, respond by telling you that uh, that we are, um, well, first of all, for the city of Willits, I would contact a city council member and express your opinion to not only one, but, but all of the city council members. Um, secondly, in the city of Ukiah, we are starting a program, a parks a program where um, we will provide free trees for people to plant within the public or near the public right of way to increase the shade and reduce the heat island effect as, as our summers uh, get hotter and hotter. Um, do you want to add anything, Dan, yeah, about that? One of the things that cities and, and the county can do is is through their development standards, and and oftentimes the um, to get a, a city or an, a developer, a per individual, to do more than the code requires, it's really best strategy in my mind um, to give the developer or the property owner some sort of incentive, and so that's sometimes that's sometimes done where um, you know like instead of building five apartments. They're able to build six, but in exchange, they have to um, in, uh, install some additional environmental um, amenities that are above and beyond what the California Building Code requires. Right. Well, this is, we need to wind up. It's been really fun and interesting um, discussing together these issues of, of what uh, is effective uh, participation in local government um, and what it's like to be an elected official. I really wanted to talk about um, our our different models of government in the in the city and the county and how some directors are are uh, you know like in the shit in the uh, county model elected and how that works but we we are out of time um at the next citizen you which is will be the third wednesday of this month i'm hoping to follow up on the potter valley project um and and have a guest who can can discuss the um, changes that could be afoot as far as water in the Ukiah Valley. Um, 
Dan, do you have uh, want to talk about uh, any future? Yeah, so the, and the, then, the first, the first <laughs> Wednesday of the month, when, when I'll host it, um, I, I would like to have a member of the public, um, at least one, um, who's working with elected officials to bring about change. And uh, I think the topic will probably be um, climate change issues. So um, there's a lot going on with the county and the cities, and um, and I, I think it would be a kind of – I'm hoping that the, the, the program that you've set up, the model that you've created, I think um, is really going to be helpful for members of the public to figure out how can they be as effective as possible in, in helping bring about change in Mendocino County. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to the future um, for Citizen U. Thank you all for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.